Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes this letter to encourage the saints in a town called Colossae at the local church there. Uh, he helped plant that congregation's leaders and uh, doing good things. And he has just completed in chapter 2 talking about man-made religion and regulations that sometimes people are tempted to rely on to determine themselves being righteous. And he said that that man-made stuff doesn't keep us from becoming prideful. You know, the flesh, the human nature, will indulge in not indulging. We're that competitive. That's the way we are. And so he points out that's not the thing you need to look at. You need to look at Jesus, what it's about. He's the one that makes us righteous. In fact, our righteousness is totally imputed. Anything coming from us is filthy rags. That's not to say that sin is not a serious issue, but the focus is on things above. So verse 1 of Colossians 3, he said, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Last Sunday we celebrated the great resurrection. And the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And you may not understand this, but it is good theology. The fact that Christ didn't die for his sins. He died for ours. So he, as my substitute, took my place and paid my fine. Took my position and received my punishment. He became sin so that we might become righteous. He became naked so that we might become clothed. He became cursed so that we might become blessed. He became what we were so that we might become what he is. He came down so that we can go up. He came out so that we can go in. I mean, you could just go on and on describing what he did for us on the cross. But in taking our position on the cross, he became us positionally. It's kind of like ambassadorship. Um, In foreign countries, there's an embassy. In most countries that we have a relationship with. And when you cross the borders of an embassy, you are in America, even though you're not. But you are. But you're not. But yet you are. You're in America in the boundaries of that. And the ambassador represents the American people. So he stands there as us, representing us in a foreign land. When I was a kid, I was raised in the mission field. Uh, We lived in Monrovia, Liberia, and a highlight of our year was to go to the embassy, cross those borders, step into America on July 4th, have apple pie and ice cream and Coke. We weren't allowed it at home, but we got to have it there at the embassy and watch fireworks and enjoy a little bit of America in a foreign land. But in that embassy is an ambassador who represents us. Who's heard of Shirley Temple? She grew up and became an ambassador, I think, to more than one place. One of the nations she represented us was in Ghana. She was us in Ghana. She was America, our representative, our voice. And so Christ died as us. He was us on the cross. We get the benefits of that by representing him now 
in the world. We're not Jesus, but we are his representatives, his ambassadors, the Bible says, in the world. As he is, so are we in this world. And so if he died as us, he arose from the dead as us. So in him, not only are my penalties removed, but now my blessings are released. I have risen from the dead in Christ. And one day when he returns, I literally, as myself, will do it. But as Jesus, we are risen. So let's read that again. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, the old King James Version says, set your affections on things above, literally upward things, top things, not on things on the earth. Regulations, the do's and don'ts of man, have to do with earthly things. He wants us to be preoccupied not with sinfulness, but with righteousness. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One day we'll see him as he is and we'll be changed. Everyone who has has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse 5, therefore, because of what I've said, here's what I want you to do. Put to death, and we say kill. It means to deaden. It means to subdue, to conquer your members which are on the earth. What are our members that are on the earth? Whether they're my arms and legs, they're my body, they're my fleshly nature, my human nature, are to be subdued. And then he lists the things that are of the flesh. Fornication, the Greek word he used there for fornication is the word porneia, porn. And it refers to sexual sins of all kind outside, sexual activity of all kinds outside the bonds of marriage between a husband and a wife. So technically, biblically, two husbands is not a marriage. It's husband and wife. Two wives, that's not a marriage. That's a distortion of marriage. might be a relationship of some sort, but husband and wife in covenant, that's marriage. Sexual activity outside of that is fornication. It's porneia. It's porn. Uncleanness, so just in case you think you dodge what fornication is, uncleanness, impure activity, covers it all. Passion, which means lust, the old King James says inordinate affection. Evil desire, the old King James says evil concupiscence. What is that? What is concupiscence? It's a hurtful longing. Wanting something that's going to hurt you, injurious desires. It's going to hurt you in the long run. And covetousness. What is covetousness? It's wanting something that is not going to be yours to ever have. Coveting another another man's wife or coveting a different spice than the one you have, that is idolatry, not God's will. Because of these things, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. Upon the sons of disobedience. Can we say rebellious? 
But before we get too prideful, let's keep in mind with where we came from. Verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So this stuff, we weren't always saved. This stuff is real stuff that we deal with in our lives. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off, so we were to put to death, now we're to put off all these. Get rid of this stuff. Anger, wrath. Just in case you say you're not angry but you're wrathful, well, he got you both ways. Malice or maliciousness, blasphemy or slandering, filthy language out of your mouth or vile communication, unclean conversation. We're to put these things off. And we say off. Put them off. So put to death. Put stuff off. Do not lie to one another. Lying is speaking falsely. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So if we put these things off, we are not supposed to lie. You know, a lot of times when people are angry, their view of things gets distorted and they will lie. Very rare for an angry person to be 100% accurate. So when you're angry, don't hold on to it. Because that, that thing could trip you up. And get you into lying. Just like I killed that mosquito. Hope that wasn't a lie. I assumed it was. So we're to put off these things. The old man, our old nature, our old members. With his deeds. Deeds means his practice. And have put on, and we've got some things we've put off, some things we've put to death. Now, some things we're putting on. The new man. We're to invest in this fresh identity that we have. Who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Romans 12, 2, Paul said we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. So even in reading the scriptures, sometimes you'll hear or see things you've not seen before, but you see it there, and if it has an impact on your thinking, your mind is lining up with your new identity, according to the image of him who created him. Everybody loves Romans 8.28. It says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But... Verse 29 says, For whom he called, these he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So everything's working out for good, but what is that good? That good is that you and I are being made like Jesus. That good is not that all your dreams are going to be fulfilled as you dictate them in your timing. No, the good is we're being made like Jesus, and God will use everything in our life to that end. So you make a mess. Does God fill up his hands and give up? No. I'll use that. That mess will become a message. You fall into a test because of what somebody else did? God says, I'll use that. That test will become a testimony. We are in his plan to be made like the image of Jesus. And in him is the place where, verse 11, there is neither Greek nor Jew. So there's no racial classifications in our new identity circumcised nor uncircumcised. There's no religious classifications in our new identity. 
Barbarian, Scythian. Now, barbarian's a bad guy. Scythian's even worse. (laughs) These are social classifications. That in Christ we have a new identity. We're no longer to see ourselves as a bad guy or worse. How I see that. Slave nor free. Now at that time these were economic classifications. That in Christ there's no rich or poor. We are all his children. We have an identity in him. But Christ is all in all. He uses all of us to reflect his glory to this dark world. Verse 11, Therefore, as the elect of God, as His chosen people, as His favorites, holy, or set apart, and beloved, or truly loved, put on, so we're putting off and we're putting on, tender mercies, kindness and humility, or modesty, meekness, long-suffering. The old King James says for tender mercy, says put on bowels of compassion. The Greeks thought like that. They thought compassion came from your guts. So they referred to their bowels, their intestines. Deep inside your inner man, you care deeply for somebody. Remember when you fell in love? You could feel it in your guts. It's that kind of love that we're to have for one another. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. So we're to put off the works of the flesh, we're to put on the works of righteousness, and we're to put up with the works of one another as as much as they may be annoying. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Lord, I forgive those noisy people in the kitchen. (laughs) Does somebody remind them that we can hear them? Somebody right quick, just slip in there and say, hey, pastor said we can hear you guys. All right. We are illustrating the sermon as we speak. But above all these things, verse 14, put on love which is the bond of protection of, of, yeah, it is protection, but the bond of perfection. The word bond means a uniting principle. The word perfection refers to completeness or wholeness. We are connected to Jesus through love. That's our bond. He is our perfection. We are being conformed and being made like him. Somebody is said to have asked a great sculpture, how do you do what you do? He said, well, in this block of granite is an angel. And I'm going to set the angel free by cutting away everything that is not the angel. In our journey of being conformed to the image of Christ, God is cutting away everything in us that is not him, that is not like him. And let, verse 15, the peace of God rule in your hearts. God, what are you doing? Be at peace. He's got this thing under control. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. The Greek word for body is soma. You want to be in the body, you've got to get saved. Sozo. Get the sozo to get in the soma. Let's think about what a body is. 
We're in a room full of living bodies. And if your body dies, you're gone. It's a dead body. So your body, when it's alive, is an instrument you use to express your life. So as members of the body of Christ, we are to express the life of Christ. And when we live in rebellion to His will for us, we're not expressing His life. We're not reckoning our bodies as dead and alive to Him. We're ruling. We're keeping control. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that your word would speak to us today in such a way that our thinking changes. And as our thinking changes, Lord, we would examine how we're living. And when we face temptation, we would live according to the new thoughts that you're giving us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the theme of true love again. But this time, true love truly, can we say truly, forgives. There's a lot of forgiveness in the world that's called forgiveness, but it's not. It's short-lived. It's not true forgiveness. And a lot of love in the world really isn't love. It's not. It's not true love. And Today we want to talk about true love and how true love results in true forgiveness. A great illustration to me is the story of the prodigal son. This is Rembrandt's painting of that story. It apparently is present in a museum in St. Petersburg. But the prodigal son wasted his father's inheritance. His father had bequeathed an inheritance to him, and he wasted it. He disregarded the hard work and the wise investing that his father had made to accumulate those funds and resources. He disregarded and dishonored his dad and squandered his inheritance. And then comes back, asking for a job. The father restored him to his position. He forgave him. He gave him a robe for his back, a ring for his finger, shoes for his feet, and threw him a party. Yes, even had dancing at that party. (gasps) Total forgiveness. What an illustration of the father's forgiveness for us. Today we're going to talk about two things, unforgiveness and forgiveness. We're going to look at two things about each of those. What unforgiveness, unforgiveness fills, fails in, what unforgiveness indulges in, and then about forgiveness. What forgiveness does not do and what forgiveness does do, what forgiveness will do. If it's true forgiveness, it will be seen like this in our lives. Unforgiveness fails in proving anyone's case. Maybe you've been wronged against, maybe a crime was committed against you, and the police dropped the ball, somebody somebody contaminated the crime scene, or the lawyers pulled a fast one, and the guy got to go free. Terrible. It happens all the time. Or maybe the opposite happened. Somebody was innocent, they got falsely accused, and now they're in jail. In either case, unforgiveness will not put the bad guys in jail, and unforgiveness will not get anybody free from jail. If you have it in your heart, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, I am stuck in unforgiveness, and that's all that happens. It doesn't change circumstances at all. It might in that it drives you to do something really bad, or gives you ulcers, or 
takes your life, you can do that. Unforgiveness fails in providing good guidance. It will contaminate your judgment. It will cloud your wisdom. Unforgiveness will give you ideas that aren't going to result in anything good. Unforgiveness fails in prioritizing the will of God. Remember the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us as we forgive those who sinned against us. That's His will. And when we say no to that, God's will stops being number one. If we approach the will of God like we go to the cafeteria picking and choosing, I'll have some of this, I'll have some of that, I don't want any of that. If we treat Jesus like he's an Old Testament prophet, not realize he's the Word of God made flesh. He didn't come here and speak meaningless platitudes. Things he said that apply to us are very important. Did he say anything that didn't apply to us? Yes. Well, what was that? Well, go to this town and get that donkey, and the guy asks you what you want. Tell him the master has need of him. That was for a specific time. All right? You don't have to go to town and look for a donkey. But when he said, forgive your enemies, bless those who curse you, love those who despitefully use you, that's not a multiple choice thing. That's for us to seriously take to heart. That's God's will for our lives. Unforgiveness fails in preventing further offenses. How many times has you or me, or known somebody else, nobody in this room, that's struggling with unforgiveness, that gets offended again at somebody else. It doesn't protect you. It makes you vulnerable to more hurt. It doesn't protect from internal pain. You know, if my best friend gives me a, a black eye, that will hurt inwardly and outwardly, but eventually the outward's going to heal. But if I hold on to unforgiveness, the internal Pain will never heal. Well, I've got to be protected. Well, that's not protecting you. And unforgiveness fails at preserving healthy relationships. Because if you hold on to unforgiveness, it will contaminate all your relationships. You may be here and may be wrestling with unforgiveness, saying, well, I still have my relationships. That's good. But if you wind up with friends that don't tell you the truth when you need to hear the truth, because they're afraid to, they're tiptoeing around you, they're not really being friends. That becomes a toxic relationship. So you get the choice. Do you want to forgive? What does unforgiveness want? Wants the person to be punished, right? What road are we heading down? Every day we get up, offenses, Jesus said, it's impossible but that offenses should come. But woe to them through whom they come. So he's not giving somebody a license to be offensive. I mean, there's, there, there are situations that offensive people are going to get into. They're going to suffer for it. But we've got to get out of God's way. He said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We've got to let them free and get ourselves free and pray for God to have mercy on those who are hurtful. But if we go down the wrong road, guess what? We'll become an offender too. Because hurt people 
wounded becomes wounders. The formerly oppressed becomes a new oppressor. Unforgiveness indulges in things that are not good for us. We have it in our heart. We indulge in Beelzebub's poison. I'm doing some alliteration with the letter B. That's why that unusual uh, phrase is there. But it's like acid that we store up for somebody else. Meanwhile, we're the ones going to be damaged by it. It'll bind up our potential. It'll kill your creativity. Your thought life will be ruled by offenses. And, and, and the new man that God has called us to be, that new woman, that, that renewed person is being quenched. And the old fleshly nature, anger and wrath and all these things that he's telling us to get away from begins to rule. And the potential successes in ministry, in life, in relationships get stifled because of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness blinds our perception. You'll think you're seeing things as they are and you're seeing things that aren't as they are. You're seeing things that sometimes aren't even there. This is why Jesus said the lamp of the body is the eye. Be careful your eye is good. If your eye is good, your body is full of light. If your eye is bad... Your body is full of darkness. Be careful that the light in you isn't really darkness. Everybody thinks they've got 20-20 vision when it comes to perceiving reality. But sometimes the light we're seeing really isn't light. It's just darkness, especially when unforgiveness is involved. Unforgiveness indulges in believing in perpetual problems. It will give you a negative attitude. You begin to expect things, and, and you become a magnet to hear Bad news about the party that has hurt you. Unforgiveness wants to punish somebody else, but it's going to wind up punishing you. When we forgive someone, we're letting them go free, but guess what? We're freeing ourselves as well. Now, I have heard in a primitive culture somewhere that if somebody murdered somebody, they were tied to the dead body. and not allowed to be freed. So they carried around this dead body on their back until the decay of the, dead, of the dead body goes into their body, and they are killed by that. So it is with unforgiveness. We tie ourselves to an unhealthy past, something that happened, it's not happening anymore. Obviously, if something's ongoing, you've got to get help for the offenses to stop. You've got to be an intervention, a confrontation, and the Bible tells how to do that. But you tie yourself to a wicked past of somebody else. You're supposed to let your past go too. It's going to get you. You're not strong enough. Unforgiveness indulges in blocking out pursuing our own forgiveness. I'm unaware of my own sins because I'm so preoccupied with someone else's sin that I won't, I won't repent when I need to. And unforgiveness indulges in bolstering postures for misbehavior. I'm assuming a position that justifies my sin. Which is what the world does with all their sin. You know, they don't have sex with someone they're not married to unless they love them. They don't punch somebody in the nose unless they swung first. They don't slander somebody unless they deserved it. 
See how we justify sin? Sin can never be justified. Jesus doesn't justify sin. He justifies sinners. Takes away their sin. But unforgiveness, we assume a posture that of defensiveness to sin. Well, where have I sinned? By refusing to forgive and pursuing reconciliation, that is sin. There are some situations where you are prevented from pursuing reconciliation, but you can still forgive them and leave them to the Lord. I mean, Jesus himself was in that position on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is unforgiveness. We're going to show them, by golly. Unforgiveness is like drinking a poison, hoping somebody else dies. Jesus said in Matthew 6.15, If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. He said it. He expects us to forgive. In the parable of the unforgiving servant, remember that story? In Matthew 18, the unforgiving servant is put in prison to be tormented. Unforgiveness is a prison where we are tormented. It's torment. It's horrible what happened, but it's even more horrible what's happening every day over and over and over again. Now, let's move on. Everybody take a deep breath. Say, oh, how sweet it is. Forgiveness is not denial. Some people resist forgiving because they think it's denial and they can't deny reality. Forgiveness does not deny being hurt. If someone comes to you to make amends, don't deny that they've hurt you. Don't brush it off. Don't blow blow them off. You're lying. Here's your chance to go free. And if they did it, and you, you repelled it, guess what? you got to go to them now and say, you know what? I wasn't really honest. I just wasn't ready yet. We've got to talk this thing through. Forgiveness does not deny being weak. Well, I ought to be stronger than this. I shouldn't be such a wimp. Uh, I thought I had my armor on, you know. Well, don't pretend you have it on when you don't. Don't put on a religious front. We're weak. He is strong, right? Forgiveness does not deny being wrong. Oftentimes, in a conflict, both parties wind up being wrong. The person that got hurt gets angry, and then they do something hurtful. So if you get all justified in yourself... So if you've hurt someone and they've hurt you, by all means, they come to you, make things right, and then say, can we talk some more? And then say, this hurt me. And if they do, don't repel and say, I didn't do that. I didn't mean that. You you don't understand. It It was conditions. No, it happened. It happened. You know, as a pastor, your crucifixion has been arranged. (laughs) Questions are coming at you all the time, and sometimes... I get asked something, I say yes to it, and then I forget it. 
So let me just go on notice. If I've done that, please forgive me and come to me and let's talk it through. But from this day forward, if I say yes to something, understand I'm saying yes if you will remind me. So when you ask, don't ask unless you're willing to remind. Well, you ought to have more integrity than that. Well, I want to, but it's not a lack of integrity. It's a lack of something else. Don't deny being wronged. You've been wronged, own it. I have been wronged. I am offended. And I want to forgive, but we've got to talk. Forgiveness does not deny being important. Sure, it might be a small thing in some people's eyes, but don't minimize it. It's huge. If it's hurt you, it's hurt you. It is important. This isn't kindergarten Christianity. This is foundational Christianity. This is the real thing. This is Christianity 101, 201, 301, 401. You've been a saint in the church for 80 years or 80 days. This is important. Jesus said it is impossible that offenses will not come, but woe to him through whom they come. So when you get offended, you've got to do it. Forgiveness does not deny being vulnerable. As, as you make amends, express, I'm feeling vulnerable, so I'm going to need some time before the level of trust we once had in our relationship is what it once was. We need time to heal. Let's be real. Let's walk softly with each other for a while. Let's be careful. Forgiveness is mercy in action. It is. And when mercy is in action, Jesus is seen. Because he is mercy personified. What will forgiveness do? If forgiveness in my life is really in operation, this will be happening in one way or the other. I will receive sincere attempts at repentance. It's awkward to make an apology. It, some people are not skilled at it as others are, and some people who are skilled at it, you wonder if they're sincere, they're so skillful. But sometimes a person making an attempt is giving a gift. That's her love language. They're giving you a gift. Proverbs talks about a gift uh, dealing in these type of situations. Well, they need to do this. Well, that's your love language. Receive their attempt and start talking. Don't make it hard. Well, they got to prove. No, no, no. He did all the proving. We do the receiving. If they're making an attempt, then receive it and talk. If there's something you need to hear, tell them what you're needing to hear. Find out what they're really saying. Tell them how you really feel. Don't be doing the denial thing. When I truly forgive, I release my offenders from shame and indebtedness. I'm letting them go free. But they're not worthy. Well, who is worthy? Jesus is. He sets us free. We're letting them go free. We're not saying it's all right that you did that. We're saying it's all right from this day forward. Please don't do it again. 
When I forgive, I relinquish all rights to execute judgment. I'm letting it go. What are the little girls singing right now? Who have a granddaughter? If you've got a granddaughter, she's probably singing it when she plays with her dolls. Let it go, let it go. Let it go, let it go. Let it go. Give up your right. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. People reap what they sow if they don't repent. But you and I have to give up our right to execute judgment. Let it go. Well, I wish I could call down fire from heaven. Well, aren't you glad you can't? Because we wouldn't be here today. If you survive, you'd be living in a barren place. Forgiveness, when I forgive, I realize holding on to anger is sinful. Well, doesn't the Bible say be angry and sin not? Yes. But it also says anger rests in the bosom of fools. Which to me means for me to hold on to anger is sinful. So anger is normal. Somebody offends you, you get angry, that's normal. But for you to hold on to that thing for years and years... It's not wise. When I forgive, I remember past needs for my own forgiveness. I haven't always been saved. And even then, <laughs> I haven't always been sanctified. And even then, I've had times of falling off the wagon. And I've needed forgiveness and reconciliation with God and my wife and my kids and my fellow man and fellow church members and fellow citizens and friends and relatives and in-laws and outlaws. Well, if that's the case with me, it generates within me a desire to forgive. And I tell you what, it really helps me. If someone's offended me, it really helps me to pray, tell God how I feel, and then say, Lord, where have I done this? Bring this to my memory. And sometimes... It's something I hadn't repented of. I was just totally blind to it. And from that grace that I received, I now extend. Forgiveness will reconcile with all offenders and anyone I've offended. So I will, if I'm walking in forgiveness, I'm wanting to be reconciled with my offenders and my offendees. <laughs> That's not a word. But people I've offended, I want, I want to make it right with them. Well, Pastor, why have you come to me? I'm just blind. I need help, so come to me. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to come to me. If you bring your gift to the altar, Matthew 5, Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has ought to you, ought against you, leave your gift there, go and make things right, and then come back and offer your gift. That's right. And I've come to the altar, I've brought my gift, but I haven't remembered. I'm not denying that I've not done something. I just haven't remembered. Matthew 18 says, if you have an offense against someone, you go to them. So Jesus put the monkey on both of our backs so that somebody does something to get this thing right. Forgiveness will require, we say require, maintaining, this is a posture we've got to keep, a forgiving heart and a forgiving mouth. Sometimes the forgiving mouth just needs to be quiet. You can't say nothing good. Don't say nothing. 
and forgiving ears. Somebody came to Mother Teresa one time, reminding her of an offense that somebody did to her years earlier. She said, what are you doing bringing that up now? I distinctly remember forgetting that years ago. So if somebody's offended you and your friends know they have, and they come telling you the next thing they did against you, say, please, I don't need to know that. You're not protecting me here. If you see somebody doing something that's hurtful to somebody, don't go tattle on to somebody. Confront that person. Get a backbone by golly. Backbone by bolly. True love truly forgives. Lord, I pray that your word would have an impact in such a way that at least one of these points breaks through our defenses and we glean wisdom from your word. Help us to understand what unforgiveness is and isn't and what it does and doesn't do and what forgiveness does and doesn't do and what it is and isn't. Lord, we want to grow into your likeness, the image of your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about communion. And he talks about examining ourselves before we take of it. Take it. And he talks about people who take of communion in an unworthy manner. If you dig into that, the unworthy manner I think he's referring to isn't imperfections per se. It's a manner where you're not regarding your fellow man. You're not walking in forgiveness is one way to not regard your fellow man. And so in a few minutes we're going to take communion. But before we do, I'd just like for us while this song plays and people distribute the elements, uh, I'd like for us to examine our heart to see if there's any unforgiveness. Lord, is there someone I need to forgive or is there someone I need to go to for them to forgive me? Can you do that? Maybe uh, maybe in this room, may not be. Maybe I'm just waiting on the Lord to bring clarification. So if I could get half a dozen volunteers to come and just pass the elements out down the aisle. And um, when you receive them, don't partake of them. I want us to do it together. We got six checks and six sections of chairs. So enjoy this song by Matthew West.
the bitterness away You can even set a prisoner free There is no end to what its power can do So let it go and be amazed By what you see through eyes of grace The prisoner that it really frees is you Forgiveness In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul stresses the importance of discerning the Lord's body. It's not just the price paid for us, but His people. Valuing, esteeming one another, discerning the worth of one another. When we don't do that, there's a lack of blessing. Even he talks about people going to an early grave. Some people read that and they've got awe in their heart towards someone they don't take of communion. They think somehow the communion elements become poison if you take of them and you got art in your heart with someone and maybe some churches preach it like that. I don't. I personally believe you don't reap the benefits of all of God's blessings when we have ought with one another, when we're not discerning each other. And so to simply not take of communion totally misses the point. The point is, here's communion. Let's take care of business. Let's not go to an early grave. Let's not walk in disharmony with one another. Can we pick up the bread and hold it up? Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. Jesus, we thank you that you were broken for us, that for our disharmony, you embraced it and even experienced it when you were separated from the Father, if but for a moment or the full three days. Thank you for paying that price, as painful as that was, so that we could be freed from our disunity and so that our relationships could be healed and our homes and churches and communities could be made whole through your brokenness and so that our bodies could be made healthy. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We receive that by faith. May we live that out in Jesus' name as we celebrate your broken body, your sinlessness in this unleavened bread. Thank you. Hold up our cup. Lord, through your brokenness, your blood was spilled. Your life was poured out. Your very being was shed 
and cease to exist for us. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that we've been redeemed by that offering and that we are forgiven. Through the fountain of your blood, we are washed and nourished and made whole. Thank you for forgiving our sins and imputing us with your righteousness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. While for you it was a bitter cup, for us it is a sweet cup, as reflected in this cup of the fruit of the vine. Thank you, Lord, for the covenant that you made for us with yourself on the cross. We receive the benefits of that by faith, and we celebrate that now here at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Like little children, we receive that which we're not worthy of, but we thank you. You've made us worthy. May we go free, free of condemnation, free of our hurts, and free of our hurtfulness. Lord, may we put off and put away the old man and put on the new man and put up with one another in Jesus' name. Lord, may you bless and keep your people. May you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May you lift up your countenance upon them and give them your peace, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that guards our heart and mind, and the peace that is made by your children with people that are at aught. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask the results of this service will be miraculous in our homes in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our community, and even at our places of employment. Let us walk as ministers of reconciliation daily and do the work that requires maintenance. In Jesus' name, guard our hearts and our mouths for your glory. Amen. Go get them, tigers.